Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I, uh, I went to the 99 cent store the other day with the lovely Joanne because I love that place. And we, we ended up getting some Halloween uh, decorations. And then they also had Thanksgiving decorations, which was fine because we needed napkins. Our, our Thanksgiving last year, I had to get napkins at the last minute. And it's impossible to find cool Thanksgiving napkins at the last minute. But then I noticed they had Christmas stuff up, which really bothered me because it's it's not even it's not even Halloween yet. I mean, I grew up with my birthday being the night before Halloween. So I knew that I knew all the things. And I loved Christmas as a kid. But it's just it's insane that right now, everywhere you go, every store already has Christmas stuff up. And it's it's not even it's not even Thanksgiving. It's not even uh, it's 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 awful. So anyway, so you know, just when you go out, don't buy the Christmas stuff till like later in the in a year towards November. And uh, brings me to my first guest. He actually has a movie coming out with with Halloween, not Halloween, but it's sort of a thriller and Halloween. And he was also involved in a big Christmas movie. So we basically you have, you have all the holidays covered. I'm working on it. Yeah. And Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Zach Ward. Zach Ward. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say a happy uh, Thanksgiving. You're Canadian, so I am. Now, I am. Do you still celebrate the Thanksgiving? Like the, what is the Thanksgiving up there? Or I can't even remember what the date is up oh, in really? Canada when Thanksgiving is. I just uh, someone shows up with turkey and maple syrup and says sorry, and uh, then that's Thanksgiving, I guess. Now you grew up in Canada, yeah. Okay, and your mom was an actress. Yeah, still is. I grew up in Toronto. Okay, and now you, she wouldn't. Let, I read somewhere she wouldn't let you act as a kid. Well, I decided that I wanted to become an actor when I was uh, eight years old and I told my mom that and she said absolutely not I want you to have a normal life and then my brother argued on my behalf asking what the definition of a normal life was so my mother recanted and uh, started taking me out to auditions when we got back to Toronto so that's how it all started now was there a certain reason why you wanted to act was because she was in the business or did you watch tv and loved it or how did that come from an eight-year-old at such a it's such a yeah, young age but it it's is. so cool but it, it, i was you gotta understand i was uh growing up backstage on film sets from the age of five it was just you know the fabric of my life and we were living in stratford ontario um which has the stratford festival theater there which is this giant beautiful theater and for a little boy, I'm playing backstage with swords and capes right. and the coolest props in the world. And uh, my mom would explain to me, uh, she had recently called Lamb's Tales of Shakespeare. And Lamb's means for children. So it's basically Shakespeare for kids so that you can understand it. And she'd explain it to me and she's an actress. So she would make it live. She would make it funny. She'd make it entertaining. And uh, it's dirty. I mean, the fact is Shakespeare was like married with children of its age. Uh, in a lot of his comedies. So I go to see this one play, Taming of the Shrew, and I'm thinking about, I'm excited for this one line that really is kind of naughty. Right. And uh, the guy gets up on stage, surrounded, you know, Presidium Theater, there's maybe 1,200 people there, and he he waxes poetical in this line, and he says it in such a way, he's like, and my tail and your tongue... And no one laughs, and everyone's response is, mm, yes, very deep, very deep. And I'm like, that's not, that's not deep. It's right. supposed to be hilarious. It's a wiener joke. That's what my mom explained <laughs> to me. And at that moment, I thought, I can do this better than him. He sucks. I could have sold this joke. Right. I'd been telling my friends about this joke at school, and they're like, what? Touch a wiener? That's gross. So at that moment, I was like, I, I want to give this a shot. And uh, so that's how it started, based on arrogance and stupidity, like most right. great careers. <laughs> so you start as a, you start going out on auditions. Now, I, mean, I know from I've had guests who have done the acting counter. There's a lot of TV and sh commercials up there and stuff. Did you start getting commercials as a kid? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I started off in commercials first. I did commercials for a couple of years. And really, the first feature film I, I did was Christmas Story. Now... You were up for a different part in that, I believe. Not really. Uh, what happened, uh, the legend of Christmas stories as such, I auditioned on tape, VHS, in Toronto. Isn't that crazy? Like, right? VHS, like now people, like back then, if you had to get a V, and I knew from comedy too, if you got a VHS, if you didn't have a camera, you had to find someone with a camera, and then you had to record it, and there wasn't any editing like now. No. Now it's like if you want to tape, you can just sit there and use your phone and right. then email it. This way you had to send it and mail it. And, and it was a cast, actually, I, we didn't do it ourselves. It was a casting. So okay. I went there, there's like 300 kids. I keep on getting call back. It's down from 300, 180, 50, 10, and I get the job. And my character is Scott Farkas, but I'm the sidekick. I'm not the bully. I'm the one who goes, yeah, you're Aunt Fanny. Yeah, you little, get out of yeah. it. I had all his lines. And so when we showed up on set, we're all dressed in wardrobe. 
um, I'm wearing the iconic hat for the first time. We walk out. There's Bob Clark sitting down. And for the first time, he sees me beside Yano Anaya, who is uh, about nine inches shorter than I am. Right. And he looks up and he says, oh, oh, um, okay, you get his lines, he gets yours. And that was it. So that's how the whole thing changed. I kept the character name of Scott Farkas, but I changed okay. the, the character arc, the dynamic, and all the lines. It must have been, I mean, looking back at it now, I mean... When you did it, it was your first big movie, and I don't think, did you have any, I mean, idea what, how, and it's, I mean, I'm 50, and I started watching, but I started watching it later. I mean, how huge it would become. It's one of those things that it's become an American, you know, a Christmas tradition. I mean, my girlfriend never saw it, and I was pissed. She goes, well, she goes, I'm Italian. We didn't, we didn't live like that. And I'm like, it doesn't make a difference. You're, you're, you're 48. I said, you should have seen it. But when you were a kid, I mean, first of all, it must have been amazing being that set because it was just like, you know. Uh, it was shot in Cleveland, right? Or, it was shot in Toronto, Cleveland, and okay. St. Catharines. So it must have been great just being on a set as a kid in this movie. I mean, you know, you thinking I, I haven't been in this business that long. It, it, well, for me, it was it was exciting because I'd I'd been on sets before, as a child on movie sets. But my mom was right. the, the focus, and uh, doing commercials. Yes, though they were fun, but commercials were a day or two tops, and this was five weeks of shooting a movie in all these different areas. And uh, we became very close friends, the other cast members and I. And so it was kind of like summer camp in the winter. Summer camp with frostbite. Right. It was fantastic. And you got to play a bully, which is it just like, how great. I mean, it's like, it's such, it's such one of those roles that everyone hates the bully, but to play it, it's like playing like a, I've had people come on and say, you know, they play a murderer or stuff like that. It just must be, it just must be fun. Especially, you know, you seem like a nice kid. You probably seen their gun, you know, and you're on the set and you know, did the other kids like, they knew you were nice, but did, was it weird when you do scenes with them? Like when Ralphie beat you up, that must've been like, just like, you guys must've had a blast doing that. Well, you know, that it wasn't really weird. I was actually, I was not the oldest on set. Uh, Scotty Schwartz was the oldest. But I was the biggest. Everybody else was smaller than me. And I wouldn't take advantage of that. But uh, say, for example, when Peter Billingsley and Scotty were throwing water balloons out of the 14th story of the Sutton Place in Toronto on people, I walked up and racked them in the back of the head. I was like, dude, you don't do that in my city. You're right. going to kill somebody, you jackass. <laughs> um, so there was, I wasn't demonstrative about it, but there was an ability to have fun and be that physical presence in the experience uh, which I definitely think helped because when I grab somebody I grab somebody you know um, it was a lot of fun it was a uh, you know playing a bully for me is I went to eight different schools before junior high man so I was a new kid named Zach right with a single parent mom in Canada so I didn't play hockey Right, and I had a <laughs> my pet was a miniature poodle named Tinkerbell. So you lost a lot of lunch well, money, dude. Yeah, I got my ass beat because my mom, God bless her, didn't look at me when I named the dog, and she's like, "Why are you naming it Tinkerbell?" I'm like, "Why well, I look like Peter Pan?" So <laughs> Peter Pan's sidekick is Tinkerbell. See, if my son, I don't have any kids, but if they did that, I'd be like, "That's a great middle name. How about its first name be Magnum or right. you know Duke, <laughs> right. so that you don't get hockey sticks in the back of the head." That's funny. So now, uh, did you think, I mean, I know you go back every year to the, the uh, events or do they have events every year? It's, it's become like later, it's become very big. Now, do you yeah. go back and what's that like? Because people, ev I mean, everyone, I, I don't know, well, besides my girlfriend, but now I made her watch it. I said you get less presents if you don't watch it. I don't know anyone who's over 40 or actually know anyone now who has not seen that movie. Um, yeah, I do go back to Cleveland. I do a tour around the country if I'm not shooting a project. And I raise charity for the uh, bully prevention programs. Uh, it's an amazing experience because everybody has such a visceral relationship with the film. Uh, for them, it's embedded in the process of their Christmas. And, and so in the, in the most celebrated moment of their year, um, I'm part of it. I've never met them, but every single year I'm part of it. And it's it's an amazing thing to watch because grandparents and parents have passed it on to their kids. And now the kids are walking up and they're between the ages of 14 and 20. And they're saying, I grew up watching you. And you're part of my family. And it's one of those things that I, I don't really think it's ever going to die. Right. It won't. Cause it's, and they play it for so, I mean, they play it 24 hours on Christmas. It's like you can see it at any time. Yeah. 
And I, I, the other reason is like you look at movies that have tried to do the same thing, uh, It's a Wonderful Life or uh, Wizard of Oz, um, Miracle on 34th Street, and the problem is even if you colorize uh, those the older movies, they don't the editing and the pacing of it doesn't relate cross generation generation generationally. <laughs> hard right. to say so when you've got a five year old watching It's a Wonderful Life they don't get it they don't care they walk away and do something else when a five year old watches A Christmas Story it's from a child's perspective and I mean that A. the film is from a child's perspective but Bob Clark the director he actually on the sets he cut away the floor and dropped the camera below the floor of the set in order to be able to shoot from a child's POV. So the entire movie is from that young person's POV. As opposed to looking down on them, okay. you're at that height. And that's something that I've had an amazing experience watching children perceive that and be enrolled in it because it is them. Whereas the rest of them are stories for children, but not from a child's perspective. Right. And I think also they're just dated. I mean, I think now, I mean, like the older ones yeah. are, you know, I mean, really, who goes to see Santa in the mall anymore? Right. I mean, and, and, but, but and, your movie, it's it's and that's a the thing scene, is, though. It's fun. It's like the kid, and we all remember, you know, and when he climbs up, it's like it's like a moment of victory when when Ralphie climbs up and sees Santa. And even for kids nowadays, who uh, because the movie took place quote in the 1940s, but we shot it in 1980s, um, so it was becoming a period piece. It always was, as opposed to it being something that was modern and therefore became dated very quickly, it was uh, a sweet um, a love letter to the past. And I think the kids, can, children nowadays who are on iPads and have their own cell phones and inundated with technology can relate to it because on a core level, there is still that relationship between the children that happens nowadays that even though every parent wants to say, Hey, sweetie, use your words, talk, be nice. They know they're going to go punch that kid in the back of the head for being a dick right. at recess. That's what you do, regardless of whether or not it's right. And so it, it shows those little pieces of truth. And it's it's raw. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. And now, it's funny. So you started off in that, and you've had a great career. I mean, you've been on TV and stuff. But I wanna, we're going to talk about your career. But I want to talk about the movie uh, Don't Blink because right now, because it is, that's my Halloween topic. It's coming out the perfect time. And I know you, now you help, you're one of the producers of that? I am the producer, yeah. Now, first of all, and it's a first-time director, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Now, how do you, as an actor, and you've been in a lot, I mean, you know, just with Titus and different episodics, you've been in a lot of TV shows. Is this your first big movie you've tried to produce? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I associate produced one other project, and this one I produced with my producing partner, Carl Lucas, and Alan Trevor. Uh, Travis Oates is the director. He came on board. I met him through Acme Comedy Theater uh, on La Brea. Like a sketch comedy, uh, uh, what do they call it? The groundlings type of environment right. and he had been a writer on that he had written a bunch of scripts that he had sold but hadn't been made yet and he was a director f uh, at the acme comedy theater so when this opportunity came around and i was i've been working at raising financing for a number of years which is if anybody's a filmmaker out there they know is a raging pain in the ass uh and they had said to me you can write it direct it produce it star in it and i was like mm, no i don't think it's a good idea so um, I brought in Travis, and uh, he directed it, and then I brought in Brian Austin Green to star in it, and Mina Savari, because they're much bigger names than I am. Uh, brought in Joanne Kelly, she's from Warehouse 13, and then I just produced, and I was a tertiary lead, a third lead, sorry. What made you want to follow into the producing? Is it because you've done, you've acted for so long, you just want to do something different, or because it seems like a really, I mean, it's... It's a lot of I mean, people who produce movies. It's a ton of work. It is a buttload of work. It is a, it is a, an incredible uh, learning curve and one that's constantly or organically changing as a technology develops and and the workflow process streamlines. But I wanted to get into it because you know the reality is uh, I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm not flying here in my private uh, manned helicopter or whatever. So to stay relevant, to stay part of what I love doing is to create. So this was my way to create. And you started doing it a few years back, you said. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it weird now? It's like every everything now, it's Indiegogo and everything. I mean, that wasn't 
big five years ago. <laughs> was it wasn't was it? It didn't exist. Yeah, five years and ago. now it's just amazing because, I mean, it, it's what people put up there. I mean, everyone talks about the potato salad one where the guy raised a lot of money. Yeah, but I saw someone saying, you know, hey, help me finance my move to New York, and I'm thinking, well, you know, that's. I don't know. It's sort of weird to see that. It's like that's when you, you call friends and say, hey, man, can you lend me some cash? It's just crazy. And for you, you know, you must sit there going, damn, I had to bust my ass to raise funds for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, it, like you said, those uh, crowdsourcing opportunities weren't there when I raised the money for, uh, for Don't Blank. Um, and honestly, I don't think they work for films. I, I don't think crowdsourcing works for features because – uh, either you have no value in the marketplace and nobody wants to invest money in that type of risk or you have so much value that why don't you finance yourself and the audience looks at you like you're an arrogant prick for taking advantage of their wallets. Right. So, um, you know, it's so it's gone back. So we've had a couple of successes on Kickstarter or and Indiegogo, uh, but I think it killed the uh, filmmaking crowdsourcing opportunity and now it's going back to tech things and stupid you know potato salads or whatever so so when you get when you finally you have the script you have the money now where do you go i mean you sit there now you do you, do you i mean do you sit there and go do you have the uh do you have input on the script? Are you giving the writer notes? Or I mean, how, oh, yeah. how, are, how is you, what are you working with this guy? Because also, you must have, it says a lot of your trust in him because it's his first time feature. Well, you know, that's the thing is, is um, it's not an auteur process. Someone doesn't come on to a set as a director and waves their hands in the air and goes, it's my way or nothing. It is mine. You're like, no, dude. Here's how, if you want it to be that way, you finance it, you produce it, you direct it, you do all the post, you pull it Robert Rodriguez, and you can do whatever you want. Because it's your money, baby. But if this is, if I've spent years bringing this money to the table and we're working together, then it's an organic process. And the reality is, uh, in the entertainment industry, we know that it takes a team to get stuff done. Clint Eastwood and uh, Steven Spielberg... <laughs> That was a special effect. Exactly. Him blowing his nose. That was a foley. There's a foley um, in here. So the reason uh, it's, it's well known in the industry, and it's been said by much of their crew, that uh, Spielberg and Eastwood, one of their key uh, abilities is to hire the crew that they know how to work with to streamline the process. There shouldn't be any ego in the fact that your DP, who spent his entire life learning how to manipulate light and lenses, and now has to know all the technical data, knows this crap better than you. And you can tell this person as a director what your goal is to accomplish, what you're looking for. But if you're not as technically savvy as this cat, then shut up and let him do his job when right. he goes, you know, um, I see what you're looking for, but that's not going to work because we it won't work this way, but we could do this way. And you go, hey, thank you very much. That's where, honestly, my favorite moment is in that uh, that creative soup. That's where everything sizzles like plasma, where everybody's firing in all cylinders and you're popping ideas off of each other in the right way, respectfully, and you're moving things down the field in a way that you didn't expect when you first started shooting. Now, it's a thriller. Yeah. Now, how don't, did you... Don't how, blink. I, how did you... Cho I mean, how did you... First of all, how did you choose when you were... How your idea? Did you have the movie first, then you start financing, or you just said, I want to produce uh, something? I had put together a slate of films, different scripts that I had written, and uh, financing uh, budgets. Um, and then once I got the money, the money was at a level where I thought, honestly, the scripts that I had in my slate were mostly comedies at this budget. And the problem with uh, comedies is they don't travel internationally the same way that horror or suspense does because jokes are very culturally relevant and they shift dynamic once they cross international boundaries if i tell you a joke right. a german guy might be like it's not funny um especially from the germans because they're the biggest other market outside of the united states so uh yeah don't blink selected that because of its uh its structure is very much like reservoir dogs um and it's based around the characters and development and it's also something that i would call actor bait in the sense that you're writing stuff that mm, we're not a big budget film we're a low budget indie yet the performances are very high caliber because the material is there and therefore that inspires a talent to want to be involved that's kind of like you know the hook 
are you a, a fan of the thriller genre, a big fan, or just is this something where you, you were very excited, like saying, oh, wow, I can do a thriller, a suspense, a horror? Is that something, a genre you love? Or I, I, I'm a fan of every single genre there is, as long as they're done well. Every, every film genre has its crap, and it's fantastic. So... It's like saying, are you a fan of the sci-fi genre? Because Avatar was awesome, but um, I don't know, Sharknado was crap. Right. So I'm not a fan of Sharknado, but I liked Avatar. It's still the same genre. I think I messed it up, but you know what I'm saying. I know. So now, did you have a hand in the casting? Because it's about 10 friends. Okay, you have 10. So now you have to sit there and get... Ten actors, and yep. and you have, and I've been guessing, you know, because they play friends, and you know, I'm guessing they, you want well, them to get along a little. Well, that's bit. that's the thing in a process like this. I'm the I'm the producer in the casting room in Los Angeles with my director, going through it, and as he's we're talking about it, we really never had any contention when it came down to the casting. Um, knowing the script as well as we did, it was a yes and process where we would watch someone perform an audition, ask them some questions, give them some adjustments, look at our tapes and be like, well, this person fits with this person, and you put them up on a wall. I mean, you don't have any giant storming arguments over stuff like that, or we didn't, so I guess I was blessed to have that opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, um, I had a huge hand in casting because I brought Brian and Mina to the to the film. I brought Brian, Brian brought Mina. And because of that, that expedited our foreign sales and domestic value. Okay. Now, how did you pick your role? Because, I mean, did you sit there and go, when the script came out, because you know you're going to be in it, did you sit there and go, okay, you know, I'm not going to play this. I want to, I think this one's good for me. How did you go through that process? Just it, it was, uh, it was written for me. Okay. That's the other benefit of knowing the writer as well as I did, is that when he was writing the script, um, because he hadn't written it previously to us getting financed. And then I was looking for a different, which project would be the right one to go with. And this one was, it, the character was written for me. So. And you, you, had a, you got a great review on Horror News. They said you your character turns very fastly and you go very smoothly into the transition. Yeah, there, you know, it's um, it's one of those things that an actor wants to do. They, they want to be playing multiple dimensions in a single person. Because otherwise it seems two-dimensional and trite. And then the audience gets bored. Because if there's the girl with the pretty big boobs and that's all she does, I mean, why can't the girl with the pretty big boobs also have a level of intelligence? Why can't she be interesting? Why can't she maybe be a Wiccan or something cool where she has depth to her personality right. that makes you, the audience, go, oh, I kind of like this person. So Travis Oates, who wrote it and directed it, yeah, I think he did a fantastic job in that in that area. So now how do you, once you have it down, you have the script and everything, how do you find the location you're going to shoot? And where did, where did you shoot it at? I mean, that must be, because it has to be somewhere secluded. It has well, to be. Yeah, this was an amazing experience. Uh, Carl Lucas and Alan Trevor uh, were based out of uh, Roswell, New Mexico. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we're based out of Roswell, New Mexico, and so as we started looking, scouting for locations, we went to an area called Riadoso, New Mexico, which is like uh, New Mexico's Aspen. It's okay. a, a mountain skiing town, and it's beautiful. Um, very isolated, uh, bucolic, small streets, gorgeous as, um, Aspen ski, little resorts, and uh, we ended up finding... I think this was Alan did this, which was just brilliant. Um, Alan found this land developer, it was either Alan or Carl, but this guy who was developing a gated community on the top of a mountain. And he he was developing all these lots so that people, rich people, could buy a lot and he'd build a house for them. Okay. So he's established the big gate around there he's he's taking care of all the land there's lots of trees it's beautiful he's built roads he's built lots with the septic tanks and all the electricity going to them awesome and he's built three houses and they're gorgeous and one is this two million dollar log cabin i mean giant you know three foot diameter freaking logs that's what we shot in then there's another house that's very different style very sort of modern-esque uh, Santa Monica, groovy. And it's like a $1.8 million house. And there's another one that looks like something from the Adirondacks. And they're all about three minutes away from each other with the, the big cabin in the middle. So I put the women up in one cabin, the men up in the other cabin, the director, the DP, and the first AD in the big cabin that we're shooting in. I use a garage 
for the production office, the uh, camera equipment, the audio equipment, the makeup room, the wardrobe, and the props. And the other cabin where the dudes are at, I turn their garage into the cafeteria where we have lunch and we have breakfast and lunch. And the other one for the ladies, I turn that in their garage into where they build the big ass props. That was it. It was awesome. I mean, that that is amazing. That's oh. you, you first of all, for the first time you're producing. You must be sit there and go, wait a second. I am in the middle. I can walk three minutes yeah. where I'm sleeping, and, yeah. and you don't have to get up in the middle of the night to well, drive somewhere. I mean, you can sit there you know, and go. You to know, the, the funny thing is. I didn't stay there. Okay, where'd you stay? I didn't stay there because I wanted to make sure that all my all my actors had all the nice stuff because they're, I say this with no disrespect, but they're actors. That's their only job, and I want them to focus on it. My job is I had to go work with uh, Carl and Alan and my DP and my director afterwards long into the night to make sure everything was up and ready for the next day and then get up before everybody and make sure it was up and going. And I didn't want to be waking up any of my talent and I really didn't want to burden them with all the other process because it was my first time really producing and I could have screwed it up. Right. And I didn't want them knowing if I was screwing something up because it wouldn't help their performance and they couldn't help me. So I kind of stepped down and my uh, my uh, post-production supervisor, Carl and Al and I, stayed in one crappy-ass cabin and uh, I usually slept on the couch. That's funny, though. You, you think it's like, you know, and that's great, though, because it seems so much like what happens to a producer. It's like you're sitting there, you're the guy, and then they're staying in these beautiful places, and you're sleeping on the couch. Hey, you know, uh, I could not ask for anything more than the opportunity to create something. So I, there's not a lot of hubris in the process for me. Now, when you started, when you started on this path, when you got down to New Mexico, what was your shooting allotment? How many days did you have to sit there and go? Was it going to be 20 days? Yeah. I mean, how, how do you it. figure that out? Uh, you break down, literally, you break down your script. Yeah, and your first AD is awesome at this. You break down your script based upon your location and what you can block shoot out, and then you also have to break it down based upon how many days you have which actors. So, say for Mina Savari, uh, you know, she's a very highly paid, expensive actress, and so you're trying to uh, compress how many days you're spending uh, putting money in her pocket and get the most bang for the buck. So you're like, let's get that done first. Then we have these other people for less money, so they can sit around and wait. That's fine. Or we fly them in at this point, and we fly them out over here. Um, so that's basically what you do. You you break it down like like a like a calendar schedule, and then you start looking at how many days you can shoot and how much recovery you need. And it gets very intricate, man. I can imagine. So how many days were you down there? Well, well, we shot for twenty two days. Okay, but I I left. Uh, I left L.A. and went down to Roswell, New Mexico, December 17th. Um, and I was there going over all the, uh, doing all the prep work with Carl and Alan, and we didn't start shooting until January 4th. Okay. So what was it like spending the holidays in, uh, in uh, New Mexico? It was fantastic. It was great. It was like, you know... Uh, my mom was asking me, she's like, oh, aren't you going to, aren't you missing Christmas? I'm like, Christmas? I, I'm making a movie. Right. This is Christmas. Right. Santa <laughs> this, came this early. Is exactly. Is a, what, what else am I going to get? An Xbox? Shut right. up. I want to be on set. That's just stupid. <laughs> so so when you're shooting it, did you have any disasters happen or any any yeah. uh, any things that just threw off any, it's the weather or what? I mean, oh, something dude. about that. Cause well, I wish you, I mean. I wish you had seen the film. Okay, and I, I feel, feel bad. To people, well, you should a little bit. I do. Well, I'm going to watch it this week, and now it will make it even better because I'll know the story, and I won't tell my girlfriend. But no, this is funny. I switched. I was telling uh, Zach had said watch the film, and I switched to AT and T from Charter. So I'm going through, and I'm looking, and the P per point pay per view is all the the wrestling things and the concerts, and there's like 400 movies because the movie comes out today. It's probably not going to be on Uverse till today. Well, the movie comes out on DVD today, Okay, but it came out on pay-per-view on the 18th of September. See, that? then I, I got to call Uverse because they've screwed up a few times since I yeah. joined in. Well, they suck. Um, so we're shooting up in, up in the woods up there. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And go to bed. We're sh- you know, it's kind of like there's little spatterings of snow in, in, in the woods. Where it's blo- where you know the high trees block it from the sunlight, but mostly it's green and there's the evergreen trees and it's nice. And we're up in like I said January. Um, go to bed, wake up the next day, 
19 inches of snow. Wow. Dude. Yeah, you got to gotta approach your whole, and you can't just blow that shit you, away. You know, oh my God. <laughs> we tried to blow it away. We got flamethrowers. We, I mean, seriously, flamethrowers. We got, uh, obviously, we had salt, uh, but we also got the, uh, the machines that they use for um, golf courses where they spray hot water on it to get rid of it. We had hair dryers. I mean, it was, ridic- it was ridiculous. Obviously, shoveling and all that crap. But it was one of those things, like, 19 inches is almost Huge, two yeah. freaking feet, and that's not where it where it drifted. And, swear to God, uh, we were on top of a mountain, and driving up to that mountain, um, some people were killed. And not, not, nobody on our crew, thank God, but... Um, from that storm or in the from, past? From that, the next day, driving up that hill and losing traction on the ice underneath the snow and sliding back off a mountain. So, it... It was, it was, it was like, it, that happens on every film. Something always goes wrong. And you, at the middle of it, you turn around, you go, okay, what are we going to do? How do we fix this? What can we shoot? What can we rotate over here? Uh, how's our generator doing? Can we do work off of inside power? How many shots can we get? Does that mean we lose so-and-so for tomorrow? Can they stay? Can you go talk to them? Where's our food? Are we going to get food? Like all that shit. Sorry, all that stuff Sorry. hits it hits a wall, and you have to really start cleaning super fast and and, and not freak out. And I was gonna say because because first time you know producing your big thing, it must really be like wow because you're used to being acting. You've acted in so many things that you. I mean, you probably when there was a problem on the set, it didn't impact you as much. But now when it's sitting there going, okay, you're the producer. You they're looking for you for answers. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I I far. I, I enjoyed the process. Look, the problems happen all the time. But as an actor, when they go, oh, my God, there's a problem, and they all huddle off somewhere else, and you're standing there with your thumb up your butt, that bugs me like because I want to fix it. I don't know what it is, but I want to help make it better. Being the producer and having fantastic producing partners, Carl and Alan, being able to stand there and be like, okay, guys, what do we have? Here's a problem. How do we solve it? That's fantastic. That's I really enjoyed that part of the process. So you get through this, you get through the the big snowstorm, and you're <laughs> shooting, and you have the 22 days, and you know you're dealing with different obstacles. You finally get finished the shooting for Don't Blink. You say that's a wrap. Then then what goes through your mind? Because now you just have the footage, right? So you have to sit there and figure the whole story. I mean, where do you go from there? Well, uh, when you shoot the movie, you have the script, obviously, so you have your map for where you're going, and then when you, after you finish shooting it. Uh, you've got something called a scripty, a script coordinator, uh, and she or he uh, does what we call the circle take. So if I took five shots of this scene and I liked two and I liked five, she'd circle those. Those would go to my assembly editor who would be putting together a rough edit of all the circle takes. So those are so you start breaking down from all your data ingestion. So if I did five takes on everything, now it's down to two takes on everything, right? And then I, you know, the director can streamline which one he wants and then start putting together on what we call the basic assembly edit. So crap is just lined up across, and that's when you as an editor start tweaking it and giving it dynamic and pace. Um, so there's that process. Then you go into post-production on the CGI effects, and you go into the sound, and then you go in, which you, you know has the foley, has the score, has the uh, sound architecture as well, as well as the the ADR, the vocal uh, lines that have to be dropped on top of it, um, EMOs, all the different things you have to go into. There's just so much stuff that in the beginning you think you know what you're talking about, and then you realize you didn't know that you didn't know it. Which is awesome. Well, what's funny, because for you, I mean, you've, you've been around for a long time, so you've seen all the changes in the biz. And so for, like, special effects, they've changed. Even, like, they've changed from when you were in Transformers. They must have even changed since then. I mean, have they changed a lot since then? or uh, No. Uh, well, the, the biggest thing I would say that's changed since Transformers, Transformers was 2000, and we shot in 2006. When did Avatar come out? Uh, I'm not sure. Two, okay. 2009? All right. Um, the biggest thing that's happening now in, in CGI special effects is real-time uh, mapping. I don't know if I'm using the right term. but So in, in Avatar, they've got people wearing um, these exoskeletons with cameras on them, lighting up their face and tracking all the digits on their face in order to make the uh, facial uh, expressions as accurate as possible and timed accurately to the eye flicker. Um, now... There's a guy who's been working with Lucasfilm, and it using tracking, um, 
using, I think it's radar tracking markers. You don't wear anything funky or silly looking at all. You walk around a room and it puts maps you perfectly okay. to an avatar in the uh, in the um, in the computer right now, real time, as opposed to having to slow down and render it out. And it's uh, that's a thing that's really changing big time. But we obviously didn't have those right. issues. <laughs> So you get the movie done. You finally have the final product. First of all, you must be very proud of yourself. You know, in a way, yes. And then also, you're you're proud of how much you learned. But it, it's that same thing. Um, once you do ten push-ups, you want to be able to do twenty. And once you can do twenty, what if you did forty? And so it's just the next level of climb and accomplishment because you've already accomplished one level. You don't want to fall backwards. So yeah, you're proud of yourself. You're like, that's great. But nobody's seen it yet. Right. So now you have to get distribution. You have to go talk to a whole bunch of people who talk out of both sides of their mouth. And you have to figure out another thing that you didn't know you didn't know. Contracts yep. with okay. these people. Okay. So yeah. So you now you have to, I mean, you, do you start selling distribution or do you have, to find, you have someone working with you or how yeah, does that go it about? It was uh, Carl Lucas and Wayne Page. Um, really, they took the lead on most of the, uh, on the distribution aspect. Um and setting up deals and then looking at the contracts and breaking them down and negotiating it. They, uh, Carl and Wayne took the lead on that. Um, I had some involvement, but they, they did the dog's body work. Now, since you're the producer and you also had a uh, part in it, uh, you've been, you've read reviews before, I'm sure of other projects you've been on. You've been on. Was it different now because you helped produce it? Did you take it more personal? Or, I mean, or how, does, how do you react to that? And how do you react to a review? Do you sit there and go, okay, as long as the majority are good, it's okay? Or does it sit there and irk you if someone doesn't get it? No, you know, it's funny. Um, because the reality is most people liked Avatar. Some people didn't. Right. You know, and that's, that's a hundred and, is it what, a $200 million movie or something? And our movie is like 500 grand. Uh, so my thought now is, gosh, I hope people like it, but I'm, I'm proud of what it is. I think the work is honest and good. And I think people will connect to the characters. I don't think they'll feel shined on. There's, there's not, there's a level of vulnerability in all the performances that makes you connect with them. And, and, uh, that's key. I think the level of that performance could be in any budget film, and you would still think, damn, that was good. That was real. That's exactly how I expected it to be in this $30 million movie. I don't think the budget makes any difference. I think it's the performance does. So for me now, I'm like, well, some people will like it, some people won't, and that's fine. Um, as long as they bought it, I don't care. Right. I, you know, I, I want everybody to like it. I want everybody to think it's the greatest thing they've ever seen. But it's a five hundred thousand dollar movie. I I don't have ten million dollars worth of uh, advertising to jam it down everybody's throat. And uh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's now it's funny because the review I read, one of the reviews I read, it said, um, they, "I'm not going to give you the ending," but they were very happy the way you ended the movie. They said basically it was. Uh, you know, just we're not going to say anything because people are going to watch it. They don't want to know. But they, he thought it was made it a cut above, you know, a typical horror type flick or that type of thing, just because it was uh, it was a a smart ending. See, that's the thing too is that's always interpretive, isn't it? Because uh, you watch a movie like um, Memento. Have you watched Memento? Yes. Okay, so it's now what fifteen years old. So I can do spoilers here. And at the very end of the movie, you're. It's this crux where he's deciding whether or not he's going to go back into his fantasy or deal with the reality that he killed his wife. He goes back into his fantasy. So you are left perfectly unresolved. It's an ending that left some people going, wait, what? Oh, I don't get it. That's stupid. Now, on the other side, Inception. Well, obviously, Christopher Nolan again. At the very end, when he spins that top, your response is, did it wobble? Did it stick right. back up again? Wait a second. Now, Michael Caine says, no, we're back in the real world at the end of the movie. He said that during the interview. But if you watch that top, it spins, wobbles, and keeps on spinning again, which was his example in the film of am I in reality or a fantasy. So people like that or they don't like that. Right. So, you know, some people will not like the ending of the movie. Great. But they'll talk about it. And some people will love the ending of the film. Great. And they'll talk about it. 
you know, I don't think anybody's going to get a perfect ending for, again, Avatar. They, right. In Avatar, they, they're hunting unobtainium. Come on, dude. That, that exact terminology was in the core, that movie. You know, it's Avatar's Fern Gully meets, you know, Pocahontas. Right. But it looks great. So you can't satisfy everybody. And I, I, one thing I do like is that the ending of the film, the, the, the statement of the movie is one that you can discuss. And if you've caught the hints, you will get the answer. And if you haven't, you might anyways. Now, did you have alternate endings, or was this your whole from the get-go? The, this was, did you know exactly how it was going to end, or did you sit there and go, well, maybe we should end it this way? Because it's, it's the ending. It's the ending. It's like also, it's the thing. is It's an independent feature film. So would you like to do something that no one talks about, or would you like to do something that breeds conversation? Right. And so I'd, ra- I'd rather hear a couple of people saying, that is the worst, stupidest ending in the world. And someone else go, no, you just didn't get it, dumbass. Right. It's because of this. And like, no, it isn't. That's a great conversation. They're talking about my film. Yeah, as opposed to, and it's all wrapped up with a bow. Right. Uh, yeah, There's it, a monster with a helmet. It's it's always yeah, good when people do, they talk about the endings. And you, I love to see if you're out somewhere, like you might be at a bar having a beer and you hear people talking about something. And they get into that like that heat. Like, no, no, you're And then it, it draws you in. I mean, that's what's great. Because then yeah. you sit there and you go, okay, you know what? I will, I'll go watch that movie or I'll go watch that TV show. I was... You know, we were, I was talking, I watched that show Fargo, which was great. And at the end, the guy's like, well, maybe. I said, there's no way he's alive. He's like, well, you don't, you don't. I said, look, you know, where he, you know, and he's like, oh, I guess, but it's renewed for a second season. I'm like, yeah, but then someone goes, oh, and I said, but like, you have to watch it. And that's what's great. That's one thing that's good about entertainment. If you're around people who are, are open-minded, they'll watch something. If you hear, like, if I go out and I hear someone arguing about, an ending i'll go well i want to figure out what it is but a exactly. lot of people a lot of people who are closed-minded are that which i hate is when they sit there and they go oh no my dad used to be like that oh no i'm like dad this guy bench 300 pounds no he didn't i had to go to the gym no no and it's like that you don't there's yeah. no interpretation well and, and that's the thing is like you can't at, at a five hundred thousand dollar movie you can't appease everybody in the country you have to pick and choose who your audience is going to be and service them as best you can now, what do you do now? Do you want to go? I mean, once you, it's done, it's out there. Now, do you want to sit there and say, okay, I want to produce a movie again? Or do you sit there and go, I want to just act for right now and come back to producing? Uh, and I, would you ever want to direct? Yeah, I've already directed a couple of things. Um, a spec pilot and a short film uh, I did, I wrote, and I produced and directed uh, that won some awards. Um, got on Ain't It Cool News as the pick of the week, which is pretty sweet. What was that called? It's called Protocol X. You can see it on my YouTube channel, Zach Ward. Uh, and also, if you go to zachward.me, that's my website, so it's up on there. Um, no, you know, that's the thing is people keep on asking that question as as to what do you want to do next? Do you want to produce? Do you want to direct? Do you want to act? Do you want to write? And, I, I, you know, how did your day go this morning? Did you want to sleep? Right. Or did you wake up, have breakfast, put your clothes on, take a dump and a shower, and then come to work? So did you want to work or did you want to take lunch? And then talk to someone on the phone and maybe we can go home, have a drink, have sex with your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. Maybe take care of your dog. Maybe snuggle your kitten. Maybe read a book. So which one of those are you going to do tomorrow? And you don't, you're not going to answer me. You're going to go, well, yes, I'm going to do all of those because that's your freaking life. I guess that's the difference. This isn't my job. It is my life. I've done this professionally for 35 years. I'm 45 years old. I was cognizant of being involved in it when I was a five-year-old. It's been, yeah. It's, it's, what it's, the hell else am I going right. to do, man? You know, like, that's my joy. That's my joy. And my pussy cats. I got two little kittens. So otherwise, that's it. You have two cats? Uh, yeah, they're like six weeks old, dude. It's crazy. It's funny. My I had a, me and my ex-wife had three cats and the one we raised and it's brothers since it was like the same age and you sit there and you have to go and you have to get like a bottle because they don't, they don't know their mother's not there so you have to right. feed them and that we had the one which ended up years later we kept the one two other people our neighbors took the other two the one that wouldn't let you hold him we figured out why he was the one when he was a kid he didn't want to he wanted to get in the litter box like you know you had to rub their genitals to make them go to whatever they have to go make them to go to the bathroom that small because they don't know how to go oh, on their own okay. but he was like no man I'm, I'm, I'm going in that you know I, I, I'm doing it on my own and we figured years later that's what happened was because he was like 
I didn't want you guys to hold me. I was on my ready to go. So later you'd hold him and he'd freak out. But then he would just lay on you. It was very weird. That's funny because I used to I need to have my genitals run yeah. rubbed as well. <laughs> yeah, these ones are they're like they're literally six or eight week old little kittens and they're freaking awesome. So I don't want to spaz out on that, but it's the first time I've had kittens since I was seven. So I'm excited about it. How'd you end up with uh, two little kittens? A uh, buddy of mine, uh, his girl found him in this alleyway abandoned. And then uh, my girlfriend and I decided to adopt them. That's cool, though. That's good. Oh, my God. It's awesome. And they have red hair. So okay. <laughs> I now have a pack they, of ginger ninjas. They're yeah. tabbies? Uh, calicos. Okay, because it's funny. Someone said tabbies. If you look close, every tabby has an M on its head, which is very no, weird. I've never seen that. It goes like this. If you look, it's something you don't notice until you read it or someone tells you about it. So it's cool. So I want to talk to you uh, about years ago when you were on Titus. Sure. Now, that was your fir- was that your first regular ser- running series week no. to week? No. Uh, I had a TV series called Boogie's Diner with uh, J- James, uh, what's his name? Uh, James Marsden. Okay. Back when he was Jimmy Marsden. Uh, it was Canadian TV shows, sort of like Saved by the Bell. It was actually absolute crap. Um, but did did 54 episodes of that, and then had another show called uh, In the Zone, which was a baseball TV series on Fox, and did like three years of that. And then uh, a couple years went by, and then I did Titus for three years. That was one of those shows. I mean, I don't I don't know if you can find it's not on Netflix and stuff like that. It was such a it was such a good show, and it was dark and the act I actually I saw it live one time I saw you guys do an episode I, did I, you really yeah it was at a shot nice. because my friend Neil who knew Christopher Radford yeah and nice. it was I, it was something I, I it was so long ago and it was just it was my first time watching a live TV show and I was amazed because all you guys I mean it's, you just nailed like the first take like like I was sitting there going wow I mean you see theater and you see stuff like that but you're watching it and it was one of those things that was actually it was funny. I mean, you know, people say laugh tracks and stuff like that, but this was no. just this was just funny, and people we had, were laughing. We had to trim our laugh, uh, our audience laughter down. Uh, we would actually our biggest problem was that we would have to shoot. So, if you remember, we would do you. You'd be in the audience. You'd be watching. Um, so, just for the, those of you at home, when we were shooting the Titus TV show, we we're on a stage, and we call this presidium style because all the stages are facing one way, so that the audience can sit there and watch everything. Uh, so everybody's up in the audience and there's all these big TV monitors raised above their heads. And so the audience is watching a previous episode of Titus. So they're watching that and that's awesome. And the warm up guys stand there and everybody's laughing and they say, yeah, you're all right. Put your hands together for the Titus show ah! in five, four, three, two. And we go on and we start the show when we're hot. We're right in the midst of it. Bing, bang, bing, bing, boom. And we get through it really fast. Like we do a 23-minute show and probably close to 36 minutes, which is retarded. Because usually if you watch TV shows like Friends, it would be eight hours. Right. And they do each scene over and over and over again and then move forward. It's not how we did it. We did it like a play. And the interruptions uh, that were the neutral space and the flashbacks would be on the monitors above the audience where you were sitting. So we would freeze and you would watch that. The lights would dim on the stage as you watched the stuff on the monitor. And when that finished, it would go back to us because we had pre-taped that stuff on Wednesday. Then we, so we'd finish the episode in like 36, 40 minutes, wave at the audience, go upstairs. The audience would stay there. They'd watch another previously recorded episode of Titus. While we're upstairs, we get notes from, we got like 14 writers in the writer's room and their EPs, and they'd sit there and be like, this joke worked, this joke died, uh, and we, they gave us options for it. We would run them, and it's very simple. Whatever made everybody laugh, that's the joke we went with, and then we'd run that, so we'd relearn the new dialogue in about 20 minutes, and we'd come down and do the whole show again. Then we'd finish that, say goodbye to everybody, the audience would leave, and we would do pickups for about an hour, uh, and usually the pickups were done for close-ups that were needed to punch off a joke, or if we needed to have a line clean because the audience was laughing too hard and you, they couldn't be heard over the cacophony of laughter, which is an awesome problem to have. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking that's, you can, that's one of the best things you can oh, ask Oh, my for. God, Cadillac issues, my friend, Cadillac. So that's so now. Now, do you the other other TV? Do you like? I mean, I can't say do you like comedy better or drama, but yeah. do you? I mean, but the thing is, is do you feel comfortable doing comedy? Because a lot of people are very nervous about doing comedy and delivering lines. No, I love doing comedy. Comedy is so much fun. It's um, it always depends upon the team that you're working with, and you know, uh, Christopher Titus taught me a great deal when we started doing the series. 
previously I had done one, I, you know, when I done, when I had done uh, Boogie's Diner, which was supposed to be a comedy, just wasn't funny. Right. And there was no audience there. there it was just a uh, canned laugh track. Um, and it was very forced and, and uncomfortable. Um, when I walked in and started doing Titus, I had told Chris, I said, well, I want to. I want to keep my performance for the day, so I don't want to really rehearse it that much. And he was like, yeah, bullcrap. I don't care what you want to do. We're going to run it till you bleed it. We're going to speed it till you bleed it. And then when you do that, then it will become new for you again, and then you're going to find your beats. I was like, oh, okay. So we would literally <laughs> sit in a room, run the lines back and forth, 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 walking around, chewing food, looking at your phone. You wouldn't have to think about it. And when you get to that point, that's when you start to play. That's when you really get to interface with each other and you're paying attention to each other's body language and the nuances, your facial expression. And that's a whole different level of comedy, which is so much fun to play with, which is like where the real marriage of people listening to each other comes from because that's where acting and comedy really bond and blossom. And um, I love that process. I adore it. It's different when you're doing a movie because no one's allowed to laugh. Right. So sometimes you feel like you're farting your chur- in church or making a joke in a vacuum because you say something that in your head is effing hilarious and it's crickets. Because right. they can't laugh or they're going to F up the shot. Um, what's his name uh, who did, I can't remember, uh, Apatow. Un- Apatow's sets are very different, though. For a filmmaker, he's running running new dialogue shot uh, options constantly. Actually, in some ways, very similar to how we run ran our show. So, I would love to be in a situation directing or acting or producing a comedy where we could we could steal Apatow's genius concept right. of how to just flutter the set with fun. Now, you said you you have some of your projects you wrote. Um, mm-hmm. Now, have you what, at what age did you start writing? Just because when you you were, been in the business for so long, but was it later that you said, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to write, I want to do this. I didn't start writing until like two thousand two. Okay, and just so you just came out, you said I, I want to just do this added dimension and to my career. No, or? I did. You know, I kind of did the same thing I did when I got into acting in the first place. Is um, I put my foot in my mouth and then I had to, I had to, you know, <laughs> eat it. Uh, I told a friend of mine um, that we should make a movie because he was a he's a rock star. He was a rock star in the band Evanescence. Ben Moody. He wrote all the music, played lead guitar. Um, and we were talking about making films, and he's like, "Well, what I what I really want to do is make movies, not music anymore." And I'm like, "Well, why don't you?" Why don't you make your own film? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, your your band did well. He's like, yeah, we're like eight, 12 times platinum or whatever it is. I said, great. He's kind of like goth pop. And he's like, sure, I'm going to punch you in the mouth, but fine. Right. And uh, <laughs> I said, so why don't you just make your own movie and write the music for it, act in it, and then sell that to the same audience that wants to buy your albums? He was like, hey, that makes sense. I'm like, yeah, all you need is a script. He goes, a script. Well, well, can you do that? I'm like, in my sleep. <laughs> And part of my brain is like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. And the other part of my brain is like, shut up, I got this. And then I had to go home and uh, start writing. Now, I right away came up with some really interesting ideas, which is fine, but I had no idea how to write it. Right. It's 2002. The Googlebot isn't as popping back then as it is now. And um, 2002, 2004. And... Uh, I'm literally using a, a Word document to write a script in. Now, if anybody knows, if anybody I, knows. I wrote a, a TV right. script years ago. God, this must have been like in 1990, and I had one of those brother word processors. Yeah. And I didn't know, like, the TV is double-spaced. I had no idea. We're just typing it. And sure. I sent it to this agent I had met. And she's like, well, it's really good, but the, the format sucks. What did you, like, write this on a brother? Yeah. Because you don't know. You have to go get scriptware. You don't think well, you're trying to space everything. And, and like, especially, like, I didn't even know. <laughs> the questions I need to ask from whom and I was I was so ignorant especially for someone who'd been in the industry for so long I was so myopic like I need to write a thing oh what's the what's the most important word in the sentence right what writes keyboards yeah. get it now start typing it was it was a very uphill battle against my own ignorance uh, I tried uh, now now as a uh, at my ripe old age, I try to expedite that process as quickly as possible and just get over the speed bump. Right. So, you know, I, I I have to thank one of my old girlfriends from like seven years ago who like was always just going, just Google it, just Google it. 
just Google it. Now I don't care. I just put Isn't it, it in. Great? It, 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 whether or not it gives me the information I need, it gives me the first direction where to go and start being like, uh-huh. Okay, so I shouldn't write it in Microsoft. Apparently, there's script writing software. Right. Apparently, there's books on how to do this. Maybe I should read those. Hmm. Okay. Dumbass. Now, you're still, are you still, do you still write? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was writing last night till like 3 o'clock in the morning. And now, do you, do you come up with an idea and then you just start writing a screenplay or do you sit there and write a synopsis? Or some people yep. write it differently. I, uh, what I do is I, if I've got an idea that I'm looking at that really uh, festers in me and grows, um, I do the, I do the outline. Uh, usually I want to come up with a log line first to see how that encapsulates the idea. Then I come up with a lo uh, an outline, uh, and really write it out. And then I chop that up to see if it sucks. And then I might do, then I'll do a synopsis and then I start putting it up in sticky notes, first act, second act, third act, and breaking it down as to how heavy it is visually with the sticky okay. notes. And then I start writing it scene by scene and jump between them and then I go back and like oh that was horrible that dialogue's crap and I might even put something in there like uh, Joe says something hilariously funny right here right. and then I'm like I'll, I'll fix that later I always do that when you're writing something you yeah. go what's that word yeah. what's that word and you put in parentheses this word means because yeah. if you sit there you lose your momentum yeah and I noticed you know Adam Sandler did that I auditioned for a couple of Adam Sandler jobs and I was got to read the scripts and it was great seeing moments where it was obviously a placeholder right a duck farts <laughs> So, or a quote, a parenthesis, or something funny. And you're like, okay, great. So he's moving, but he's dropping his beats. Right. And so that he can go back in and talk with his team and be like, yigger, yagger, back and forth. We have a, just a few minutes left. Uh, give all the info about Don't Blink. Uh, don't, don't Blink this summer in theaters <laughs> near you. Don't Blink starring Mina Savari, Brian Austin Green, Zach Ward, Joanne Kelly, and a cast of talented people. It's on pay-per-view iTunes, and it's on DVD at Walmart. Now, don't blink. That's very good. Yeah, that's, right. that's good. It's not John Bailey, the honest trailer right. voice, but I'm doing my best. Now, what other projects are coming up for you? What do you have in the, in the um, works? I have a number of projects. I'm uh, raising a f uh, money for a film slate right now. I'm in the middle of writing a project called The Kingdom of Death and Madness. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I'm on the road doing a whole bunch of charity conventions. Um, I'm going to be at a horror con in Dayton, Ohio. You'll pay for the whole seat, but you'll only use right. the edge. <laughs> um, yeah, Dayton, Ohio on the 24th and 6th. And then, uh, I'm going to be in Detroit, Michigan, uh, for a charity thing at the Redford Theater in November twenty. 2nd, 23rd. Is this all on your website, or do you post this stuff on your uh, website? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'll put it on the website. Uh, so that's ZachWard.me. You can hit me up on Twitter. It's with at, a K. It's with a K. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah, not Zach Ward. Right. What the hell, man? I know. Okay, I, I'm so, Steve. I, I hate when the people put it with a PH. No, Steven is with a V. Right. So it's Z-A-C-K-W-A-R-D at me.com. And there's also my Twitter handle and Instagram is Total, T-O-T-A-L, Zach Ward. Uh, Z-A-C-K-W-R-D. And hit me up on Facebook. It's a picture with me wearing glasses, wearing a suit, looking happy. That's good, though. And I see you. So the, the events, you go to do a lot of these events, which is awesome. It's Christmas time. If I'm, and it's great. If I'm not booked shooting something, then I can be writing on the road. Uh, my girlfriend's awesome. She, so she understands. I bring her stuff back from Detroit, like uh, poverty. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's funny. I, I, my girlfriend lives out here now, but I was in a long-distance relationship for like two years before Philly had the straight flight from LAX with Virgin. You'd always end up at different airports with a connector, and I would always get magnets because she had these magnets. Now when she moved out here, of course, now our whole refrigerator is full of all these magnets, and I'm like, geez, it's gone. So anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. It was great meeting you. Thanks, bro. And I've been, I've been a uh, fan of your work. As I said, Christmas story. I, I look like Ralphie as a kid when I had hair. I look just like him. People used to awesome. call me that. And uh, yeah, and so check out Don't Blink. I'm going to watch this weekend, people, because I'm sure it's going to be on my U-verse right now. If not, I will call him. And check it out. And check out his website, ZachWard.me. Dot M-E, yeah. Dot M-E, yeah. So find out. Check out what's going on. Also, people, you can follow me at Twitter. That's at Cooper Talk. Uh, I post a lot of jokes. I write a lot of funny stuff on there. Also, if you send me an email, I will respond to you. It's Cooper at CooperTalk.net, which is my website, CooperTalk.net. I have over 300 episodes up there. I just passed 300. It was uh, Mark Boone Jr. from uh, Sons of Anarchy was the other day. That was pretty cool. That's awesome. And uh, also, uh, if you have a iTunes or Stitcher, type in CooperTalk one word. Every Tuesday, I host 
crappy comedy at Jimmy's Place down on San Fernando Boulevard between Grismer and Scott Road. Uh, they have great dollar tacos. It's an hour show. Starts at nine. It's free. I bring some of my comics down, down friends down. We have fun. And yeah, and if you have a Google device, uh, Android, uh, go to Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, and you can get my app. So I want to thank my guest, Zach Ward. Check out Don't Blink. Also, follow him on Twitter and go to his website. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, stay healthy. You guys have a great weekend, and I will talk to you next week. Thank <laughs> you.